verses 22 through 39. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who are the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this Sabbath day. Thank you for calling each person to be here. Holy Spirit, speak to us now in the name of Jesus. Amen. So if you have even the slightest knowledge of the Bible or even just a little bit about Christianity, you know that the number three, it's kind of a big deal, right? Jesus was in the grave for three days before he resurrected. There's three members of the Holy Trinity. I could keep going, but you get it. So for this being my first sermon ever, I'm dealing with threes, staying safe. So we're going to work with three dates, three elements, three works. Got it? Let's start with the dates. First date, March 3rd, 2012. If you notice, that's 3-3-12, so I'm not playing around. Threes. I was standing right down there. It was men's weekend at Advent Hope, and they asked some of the guys to give testimonies, and I gave a testimony that day, just a brief testimony, talking about how just one year earlier I had prayed and fasted and left a perfectly good job to do, of all things, become a screenwriter. So I believe God was calling me to do. And I talked about the challenges of waiting. And that was just one year into it. And I was challenged by waiting. That was 2012. 
You may have noticed it's not 2012 anymore. It's 2018 now. So that means that there are kids running around, reading, writing, doing simple math, who weren't born <laughs> when I first started this journey. And so that's been a while, is the point. So you can, <laughs> you can imagine then how I felt when I was recently sitting down in a conference room at a table across from a very well-known director and his associate. And it was the three of us in a room, and I got to pitch a script I had written. And I was just in the flow of things from the beginning, the opening scenes, how it was going to play out in the middle, some of the characters, all the way to the end, big finale. And you know, I finished. I felt you know, pretty good. But then I, there was one thing that I forgot to mention. And I added, this, by the way, is a true story. And at that, you know, the director's eyes lit up. I mean, he was attentive before, but that seemed to kind of seal the deal, as it were. And, and he said, I'm really interested. So I want to talk to someone down the hall. I'm going to go to his office. Just let me have this conversation. I said, absolutely. Go ahead. So he excused himself and went to the conference room. It's just me and the associate. And just within like a two minutes or so, the intercom and the conference room went off, and they actually called the associate to go. He left, so it was just me in the conference room, just looking around. No problem. Felt it went well. I did what I came to do, and they seemed receptive. And, you know, five minutes went by, and 10 minutes, no problem. A little bit longer, and I'm like, wait, uh, you know, is this one of those things where, you know, Hollywood can be a little bit fickle, and the people from Hollywood, so is it like one of those things where they say, well, man, we love you, we love you. And then, you know, next thing you know, I'm being escorted out of the building. I wasn't sure. And in that moment, as the time went on, I was a little bit frustrated because, as you know, it's been a long time, been waiting, and then have this moment, opportunity, seems like everything went well, and then I find myself once again waiting. So has anyone here had to wait? Or is anyone here waiting now for something? If so, then you can certainly identify with me and how I feel and how I felt. But more importantly for today, you can identify with the church in Rome. This was the church that Paul was addressing in his letter to the Romans. And he had two purposes, really, that we're going to talk about for writing the Romans. The first is the most important. He wanted to correct, correct false theology. So there were people that were saying that you had to be circumcised, you had to keep the laws of Moses. All of these things had to go down before you were accepted into the faith. And Paul was saying, no, 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 no. Faith in Christ alone. It's salvation by faith in Christ. And that's it. That's his pr main purpose. But the other purpose that we're going to talk more about today is that he was writing to encourage this church. New believers in the faith, they accepted Christ, and they believed that Christ was returning soon. But the problem was they were waiting. And not only that, they were waiting and things were getting worse. They were being persecuted, they were suffering. And so Paul is writing Romans in part to encourage this group. 
And in the text of emphasis today, he's writing particularly about three elements to encourage the church. He's writing about hope, faith, and love. These are the three elements. So let's start with the first element of hope. And we return to our text of emphasis. I'm skipping down to the, the verse 24. It says, for in this hope, we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So Paul here is talking to the Romans and, and he's sort of saying that hope is a good thing. He's like, well, if you don't have something, then you hope for it. That's good. If you have it, then it doesn't have any value already because you're not waiting for it. There's nothing to be gained. And not only that, but as you're hoping for it, you're waiting for it patiently. But I can imagine receiving this letter as I'm being persecuted, and I'm like, wait a second. I'm not waiting patiently, and I'm kind of losing hope. You guys told me Christ was coming back. This is not happening. So I, I see a, a problem with, with this and what Paul is writing here, trying to encourage. It's the problem of impatience and people losing hope during that impatience. I mean, I could ask, like, are you waiting patiently for whatever it is that you're hoping for? I know I'm not naturally a patient person, so I struggle with that. But herein is the first work, the work of the Holy Spirit. So if we continue in verses 26, 27, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. So we see the work of the Holy Spirit to intercede for us. That's to intervene on our behalf. In our weakness, the Holy Spirit is helping us. And what is he helping us to do? Well, to be patient, but also to give us hope. And Paul underscores this second part in later on in the, in the letter to Romans 15, verse 13. It says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit giving us power, giving the church in Rome the power to hope. But you know, it's only valuable if you value hope, right? The Holy Spirit can give you all this wonderful hope, but how important is hope, really? Let's see. <laughs> how important, there we go. All right, so we know that there are those three elements, hope, faith, and love. So let's investigate and go to 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13. Paul, writing to another church, this one in Corinth, he says, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. So we get to the final three. These are the, when everything else is gone, you have these three, but saying love is the number one spot. Okay, no problem, hope is still in the running, Let's keep moving. Let's go to 
the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Paul, again, writing, church in Galatia. It's love and joy, peace, forbearance, which is patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's score two for love. We got one for faith. Hope seems to be slipping. Um, let's keep going. There's a love chapter. We just read from it, 1 Corinthians 13. We have a faith chapter, Hebrews 11. Anyone? The hope chapter? There's, there's no hope chapter. So it appears that hope might be the least of these, right? Or, or maybe another way to put it, you know, hope is like the, the Chris Bosch of the big three elements. I mean, so for those who don't know, the first time LeBron James left the Cleveland Cavaliers, he took his talent to South Beach, to Miami, the Miami Heat. And he was there with Dwayne Wade and with Chris Bosh. But I mean, let's not kid ourselves. It was really about Dwayne Wade and LeBron James. They, those were the two, those were the dynamic duo, and they were the ones who were handling things. Chris Bosh, I mean, he contributed, no doubt. They won some titles, but he's, he's kind of like the, the distant third, you know, the third wheel. So is that, is that what hope is here as well, when we look at love, faith, hope? I want to dig a little deeper into this, and for that we go back to 1 Corinthians 13. Verse 7 says, love, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. So it's always hoping. Love is always hoping. You cannot separate hope from love. In fact, you can no more separate hope from love than you can sand from concrete. It's baked in there. It's always part of it. So that's key. But let's go to the faith chapter. We don't have to go very far. First verse of Hebrews 11 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So let's get this straight. We hope for something, then we have confidence in that thing, and that's faith. So you see, the whole progression begins with hope. You have to have hope in order to have faith. So we're learning that hope is essential for these other elements to exist. But I think it goes beyond the theological. It goes beyond the theological, it's practical. Hope is essential for life. In fact, hope is life. If I were to ask you here, what things are you hoping for? I would imagine I would hear jobs. I would hear about maybe restoration of a relationship, maybe healing, maybe marriage. Uh, there are a lot of things that people are hoping for, and these things keep us going from day to day. It's, it's because of the hope that your situation will improve in the next day, the next year. That's what keeps us going. Hope is life. But you know, there's a darker side to this as well, because if hope is life, then what happens when you take hope away? It can be pretty dark. And we know this from many examples. There are obviously 
well-known figures in entertainment and sports that have, that have taken their lives, some recently, and we know that people have lost hope. I know Todd, and when he spoke a few weeks ago, he's talking about the NFL and players that are suffering from, or were suffering from, the degenerative disease, CTE. And a number of them have took their lives because there's no cure for the disease. They had no hope of returning to their former selves. The absence of hope can be life or death. And so some of you, forgetting celebrities, some of you may know people who have struggled with that, with the absence of hope and have either um, attempted or committed suicide because they felt there was no hope left. You can even go closer and say, some of you yourselves may have struggled and have been in danger of losing hope at one time or another. I know I was in danger of losing hope personally. And so that brings us to the second date, December 31st, 2012. Not that long after I stood up here the first time. New Year's Eve, a lot of folks out there partying, but not me. I was in a storage facility, packing my stuff in a storage facility because I had to move out of my apartment. Instead of everything turning around after my testimony, things got a lot worse. More rejection letters from my writing. I said, okay, fine, I'll go and get a job rejected everywhere. It didn't make any sense. I'm used to things working out. And nothing was working out at all, to the point where I had to move out and go and couch surf for a while. In that moment, I was tempted to lose hope. I felt like, you know, if I just disappeared right now, there's, nobody's waiting on anything from me. It's not like I, if I go away, then People are like, oh man, how are we gonna get this done? Nothing, that was not connected to anything. And it felt very lonely and isolated in that moment, and I was very tempted to lose hope. But in that moment, in that moment, the Holy Spirit gave me hope. And how? It wasn't a voice, a big booming voice. No, it doesn't happen maybe in the movies. It doesn't happen to me. But it, more, it happens more like, well, to use a movie reference like Inception, where there's a, a thought that's planted. That's what I felt. There was a strong thought that was planted as I was just on my knees in that storage facility. There was a thought that said, your story will not end like this. And scriptures like Philippians 1.6, you know, God who began a good work in you will see it to completion. Um, Jeremiah 29.11, I know the plans I have for you, plans for you to prosper and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. These were the things that were coming to me in that moment. And that was the Holy Spirit giving me hope when I was too weak to hope for myself. So when I talk about Holy Spirit giving us hope, I'm not talking about it in this theoretical realm. I'm talking about it from a personal experience, a real experience. But if I left it there, I would be incomplete on this subject of hope. It's wonderful. Whatever you're hoping for, 
it's legitimate. Whatever I'm hoping for in my life, it's legitimate. But if our hope just rests in the things that we're hoping for here in life on earth, let's hear what Paul has to say about that. That the entire Bible and Christianity rests on a particular hope. But in 1 Corinthians 15, 17 to 19, Paul's writing, he said, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. Skipping to verse 19, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. This is powerful. He's saying, it's good, fine. You want to hope for the things that you expect in this life? That's great. Some of those things may actually happen. Some of them may not. So if your hope is just for things on this earth, you're not hoping high enough. There has to be a greater hope as a Christian. And he goes on in verses 20 and 22 through 22. He says, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Death came through a man, Adam, and resurrection of the dead comes also through a man, Jesus Christ. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all, all will be made alive. So this is the the ultimate hope that Paul is talking about. It's fine to have hope, but the ultimate hope is in Christ's return and the resurrection of the dead, that we get to spend eternity with him. If we're not hoping for this, Paul is saying we're missing the mark. So that's hope. And it's a lot more important than I initially thought, and hopefully now you share with me the, the idea that hope is a lot more important than we initially believed. But we know hope also ties into our second element, faith. And we go back to the faith chapter, and we see verse 1. We, we had the um, description of that. But if we look at verse 6, it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. That's pretty strong. It's like, don't even step to God if you don't have faith. So that's the macro level. We know we want to please God. That's great. There's a micro level, too. There's, we want to look at that in Romans 4. This is talking about Abraham, once again, Paul, writing. And we see here also the interplay, again, between hope and faith. In Romans 4:18, he says, Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations. And without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Continuing, he, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness, and not for him alone, but for also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. There's a lot going on here, but basically Paul is saying that Abraham, even though he had no reason to believe, his faith was credited as righteousness. It was cashed in for righteousness. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. So we're seeing, I have to please God, we're seeing righteousness is, is given to you, uh, credited to you as faith. And then here in John 20, doubting Thomas didn't believe Jesus rose from the dead because he wasn't there when Christ first appeared to the disciples. So Jesus appeared to him, and he got to touch his hands and his side and said, okay, now I know Christ is alive. And Jesus told him, sure, because you've seen me, you've believed. 
Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So this is faith, that it is necessary to please God, that it allows us to be credited with righteousness, and that we're blessed. Wonderful. But again, I see a problem. Because that's kind of a lot to put on a person. I mean, do I have enough faith for all of that? That's a lot of faith to carry. I, I want to be sure I'm pleasing God. I want to be credited with righteousness. I want to be blessed. But maybe sometimes I don't have enough faith. And I feel I fall short. Well, herein is the second work, the work of God. And Paul writes in verse 28 of Romans, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And I like this version, the version I grew up with, the King James, it says, and we know that all things work together for good. And when you say all things work together, it's like the things themselves are working together versus this version it says God is working for the good of those. And so this is the work of God, right? The work of God is to work for the good things, the good outcomes on our behalf. And it's also to give us faith. But you may see this verse and you see that faith does not appear in Romans 8:28, the word itself. So you might wonder, so how is he giving us faith? I see it says he's working good things out for us, but how is he giving us faith? So I have a couple of illustrations on how this might work. The first is kind of a, a graph, a chart. Can you see it up there? So we have good outcomes. That's represented by the green cylinder. That's by itself. We also have uh, the yellow cylinder, which is stagnant circumstances. Nothing's really happening in your life. You want things to happen, but nothing's happening. And then you have the red cylinder all by itself. Those are bad circumstances. Negative things are happening. And, you know, if we always lived in the good circumstances or the good outcomes, then we wouldn't really need faith, right? Because everything would be good. The, the verse says, in all things, God works for the good. But if all things were good, then we wouldn't need that verse because everything's great all the time. But he allows stagnant circumstances or even bad circumstances. And we see like in stories like Job or Joseph, there's a good outcome. But in order to get to that, to believe that, the bridge is faith in each one of those, those situations. To, to be in a place where nothing's happening, but you read this verse and you hear that God is working for the good. It's faith that builds that, that bridges that gap. This is what Paul is saying here. I have another example of how this might work. And it's part of a film. Many of you know that I host a podcast called Evidence of Things Screen. And we, we talk about the parallels between faith and film. And so today we're going to do a little Evidence of Things Screen live. And I have a, a clip from a film called Minority Report that I believe illustrates this example of God working for our good and building our faith in the meantime. Now, just to set the clip up, this is 2002. The film was made starring Tom Cruise. It's set in like 2050-something. 
where they can actually predict crime now. There are these three beings, precognitives, that can tell you when a crime is going to happen and where it's going to happen. So the law enforcement, they get dispatched to whenever that's going to happen, and they just arrest the person before the crime is committed. No problem. Except, of course, it's a movie, so things go awry. Tom Cruise gets framed, and he goes on the run. He takes one of the precognitives with him, and that's, that means that they're going to get chased. And so that's where we pick up this clip. It's about two and a half minutes, so we'll, we'll take a look, and then we'll talk a little bit about it. Turn in here. Let's go. Wait. No, we can't stop here. Can you see the balloon man? Take the east end. Everyone else, follow me. Let's go. He knows. Don't go home. We've got eyes on. Be working with her. Standing on it. Oh, please, please. Have you got a cord? Drop some money. Oh. Can't you put it in my hand? May the Lord bless you. May God take you. I love that scene. I love it. So you see in the beginning how she said, grab the umbrella, and she had to yell at him multiple times to grab the umbrella. But by the end of the scene, when she said, drop the change, he did it without even questioning. What happened in between? He was walking with her and was able to see that the thing she told him came to pass. And in that, developed faith. And this is how God works with us as well. As we walk with him, we see him working. 
And by the end of the journey, we trust him, we have faith in him. And there are a few things from this scene that I just want to highlight. God always knows the end from the beginning, just like we saw here. Grab an umbrella, why? Obviously, by the end, they were going to be out in the rain, but even more importantly, by putting up that umbrella, they blended in with everyone else, and the people who were trying to, to catch them couldn't distinguish them from anyone else. And God, um, God works like this too. Paul writes in the next verses, 29 and 30 of Romans 8, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, skipping forward, and those he predestined, he also called. God knows the end from the beginning. And this is where he asks us to have faith in him. What else do we see from this? God involves us in his work while we're walking with him. All the commands, grab the umbrella, drop the change, she could have presumably done those things herself, but she asked him to do it, and he had to take the risk and do it. And many of those things didn't make sense, just as many of the things God asks us to do do not make sense. In fact, wait is one of those things. And as you see in this clip, wait was repeated the most of any other command that she, she gave him, wait. It didn't make any sense to wait, sitting, standing in front of everyone that was pursuing them. But again, she knew that the balloon man would come and position himself at the right moment. And so this is where, again, God's timing is perfect. Also, God will ask us to help others during our trials, during our bad circumstances, during our stagnant circumstances. While we wait, we're not supposed to be idle. And so we see, again, drop the change. He did it. But also, we see God blessing others while we're waiting. And so you saw when she stopped the woman to help her and said, don't go home, he knows. And they have to go on their way, but she's still stopping to help others. And we'll see sometimes on our journey, we're waiting, we're uh, hoping and God is blessing others right in front of us. And then finally, God is always with us. You see in the clip, they're practically joined at the hip the whole way. This is the idea of walking with God. This is what this clip illustrates so that by the end we, we learn to have faith in him. And in Hebrews 13, God is saying, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And we see that here in this clip. So hopefully those illustrations have helped you with this idea of faith. And so then there's just one element left. The third element is love. And we go back to the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. Skipping to verse 5, at the end of verse 5, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth, protects, trusts, hopes, perseveres, love never fails. Now, if you've been to a wedding, you've probably heard this a million times, and this is beautiful, this is wonderful. The only problem is we're human. So what if I do keep a record of wrongs, at least, you know, the really bad things? You know, I can't forgive that. What else? What else? I mean, there are a number of other things if I don't always protect, People are shady, I don't always trust. Sometimes I fail. So once again, 
I see a little bit of a problem. And so here is where the third work, the work of Jesus Christ, comes to bear. And Paul says in Romans 8, 34 through 37, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, he's at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. And who shall separate us from his love? Trouble or hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword? No, all these things. In, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. So what Paul is saying is that the work of Christ is to also intercede for us. This is beautiful. We have two heavenly intercessors, two. That's a powerful picture of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, interceding for us. This is what Paul was saying to the church in Rome is happening in the midst of their struggles, in the midst of their waiting, in the midst of their persecution. It's what's happening right now for you and me. And then also to give us love. That's the, the other work of Jesus Christ. Now I know if you are loved, if, if you feel love, if I feel love, I feel a little bit more confident. If I know somebody loves me, I feel a little bit more sure in my step. And that's human love. So it's imperfect. Imagine the perfect love of Christ. If you were to embrace that in your life, how much more you could be empowered to overcome the things that you are facing. If we could really embrace that and understand the perfect love of Christ, we would definitely have more confidence to face these things. So this was the message that Paul was using to encourage, that the three most powerful beings in the universe, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, are working on your behalf to develop these three elements, the three elements that when everything else is gone, they will remain, hope, faith, and love. That's a powerful message. That's good news. But as we close, I want to go back to the conference room. Remember, I was telling you, I was waiting in the conference room. And so it got to a point where I said, you know what, I just, I got to go. I mean, I'll speak to a receptionist on my way out. They have my number. Obviously, something went wrong. I don't know. And I walk out the conference room. And as soon as I walk out, the associate walks out of the office, which was down the hall. And I was like, whoa, this, I mean, either that's a real big coincidence or this is some experiment. Like they were watching me in the, in the conference room on some camera. Like, was this an experiment to see how long this guy would wait before he came out? Is this some test? And then he was at the end of the hall and he stood there and he held up this, looked like a cue card with something written on it. And I was like, this is bizarre. And I was like, this for me? And he didn't say anything, but he waved me closer. And so I kept walking, and I was like, okay, I don't know what's going on. And I got close enough that I could read what was written, and there were four words. And he was standing there, and it said, we are for you. And in that moment, I felt such peace and contentment. Everything was going to be all right. And then I woke up. <laughs> it was 
a dream. <laughs> I know. Oh. Third date, third date, third date. January 1st, 2018, New Year's Day this year. I woke up from this dream on New Year's morning. And it really set the tone for the rest of the year that this message, we are for you. I've been living with that since that day. I don't know when the wait will be over. I don't know how it will end. I just keep moving forward, but with the knowledge that we are for you, right? And so I look and try to interpret the dream, and I'm not Joseph, I'm not Daniel, but when I look at the characters in the dream, I see some parallels. The associate who was there alongside the director and who delivered the message, I look at as the Holy Spirit, as akin to, to playing that role. The director, who was actually Spielberg in the dream, um, I see him playing the role of, of Christ. And you may laugh, but both were Jewish men who were great storytellers, so there are parallels. There are parallels. But seriously, he was the one who I was telling my story to and who was listening to me. And he was also the one who got up and went to the man in the office who represents God the Father. He was going to intercede on my behalf. And guess what? The associate joined him, so they were both interceding on my behalf. So you see how that plays into what Paul was writing in Romans 8. And to see it all come together, I had the dream on January 1st. I was asked to preach sometime months later, and I didn't know what I was going to be preaching on, and Todd gave me Romans 8. And as I was reading, I came across these verses, and I saw how it fit perfectly. We are for you. Even we are for you is part of the verses that I read today. And where is it? In verse 31, Paul writes, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? It's amazing. He goes on, For I'm convinced neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In your season of waiting, we are for you. This is what God is saying today. In your season as a single person, God is for you. He's saying we are for you. In the midst of your marriage, we are for you. In the aftermath of your divorce, we are for you. In your loss of a loved one, we are for you. In your celebration of new life, we are for you. In your joy, we are for you. In your suffering, we are for you. In your fight against addiction, we are for you. In your victory over temptation, we are for you. In your cries for healing, we are for you. In your sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving, we are for you. We are for you in every season and every circumstance of your life, giving you hope to hold on to in your weak moments, giving you faith to believe there will be an eventual good outcome, even if that isn't until the return of Christ, giving you love that empowers you to conquer all obstacles that come your way. 
We are for you. Amen.